Hello and welcome to E3, Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about architecture, building science, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. So welcome back to Energy and Efficiency with Emily. Today we have Jake on, and I'm going to let Jake tell you a little bit about himself, but as an intro uh, coming from Rhode Island and Arrow Barrier, and we're hearing a lot more about this today. So welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about what you're up to and uh, where you're doing. All right. Thanks for having me, Emily. Uh, my name is Jake Lippman. I, uh, we, we have been my company is called Seal Tight Energy Solutions. Uh, we're a building science company that is specializing in blower door testing and um, the advanced air sealing technology uh, called Aero Barrier. Um, we're about almost a year in. Um, I grew up in Jamestown, Rhode Island. I went to college, University of New Hampshire, spent a lot of time skiing up north, snowboarding, snowmobiling, love the outdoors. Um, I worked. Um, I worked for an engineering firm out of Rhode Island called Rise Engineering uh, for ten years, doing um, residential commercial energy audits. That's how I kind of got into this industry. Um, and then about a year ago, I was approached by an insulation company who had found out about the this old ha- uh, on the aerobarrier technology on this old house, and um, they asked me if I had any interest in and um joining up with them and and starting a franchise and and that's you know that's what we've done so i think that's really awesome i love hearing about new technologies i know when i first heard about it i thought that can't possibly be real like that <laughs> they <laughs> must be <laughs> yeah and um you know then i talked with mike uh, about it and on in the northwest and like i mentioned to you before we started kind of recording here on the podcast is like i didn't really think that people were doing it on the east coast so um really impressed to hear that your small community of Rhode Island, which is, you know, kind of a small community like Maine, um, is kind of progressive and, and looking into it. Um, you mentioned that as of August, you have to start doing blower door testing. Um, they're trying to adopt the 2015 IECC here in Maine. We haven't done it yet. So we're still doing, um, as allowed visual inspections on, on air sealing, but, um, you know, I mentioned when I was talking to Mike is that I think that when we move from visual inspections of air air sailing to um, actual blower door testing, I think a product like Air Barrier could be huge in the market because there are a lot of people who haven't kind of had to meet this standard yet. And um, I think that this has a real potential to do it without maybe being quite as labor intensive as uh, you know, the traditional methods, which is, you know, you tape everything, you seal everything, you caulk everything, and you just, you know, your team of guys is just going through um, with that. So I don't know, um, in your experience, have you done more um, new construction or more uh, existing, you know, do you have an existing housing stock in Rhode Island that's pretty poorly... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so we we have done we have done a lot of different types of, of uh, projects, um, which is a good thing. However, there, there's just there hasn't been a lot. It's not like we've done forty production houses right next to each other, which I think would, you know, would be easier. But um, I mean, you're not getting as many curveballs. But I think we're learning more 
um, because of the, you know, all the different types of projects we've done. So we've done, you know, high end single family houses that we're trying to get from like a one air change down to a passive 0.6 um, ACH. We've done, I've done a few existing houses that I could talk to you about. That's, that's um, a challenge in the prep. There's a lot more preparation of, of your um, horizontal surfaces. Um, we've gotten into the multifamily market, which I think that there's a very strong market in, in mill conversion projects, which um, I can talk a little bit about. I think we're starting up a big project in Connecticut, hopefully in the next few weeks. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I could, I mean, I've, I've even done rooms, I've, yeah. a single room, an addition that we isolated from the rest of the house. It, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, let's work backwards uh, through that because you mentioned three really important things. One is multifamily, and I'd love to hear how you tackle multifamily and what size building do you sort of max out at? Um, you know, do you have multiple blowers? Like, how do you handle a multifamily building? Which, um, when I was doing a lot of energy consulting all over the country back in 2010, 2011, you know, blower door testing a multifamily building was kind of complicated. And so hmm. doing aero barrier in a multifamily building, I'm, I'm super interested in that. Um, existing housing, I'm also really interested in, in hearing more about that. I don't know with our current climate, if we're going to see a lot more people like in 2008, who decided not to build new and renovate what they had. And sure. those of us in the building science community are really big proponents of air sealing because, hey, it's usually the cheapest and most effective way to really make a impact on a structure and then new construction you mentioned getting down from one to 0.5 which i think really comes back to the passive house market and um back in 2009 and there were a couple of people doing passive house and i was doing blower door testing on passive house you know th those guys are looking for every tiny little seam that might have any kind of impact on on their air infiltration and i think that an aero barrier product would I mean that would be amazing because essentially it just says oh hey this is where you're leaking and I think getting from one to 0.6 or 0.5 whatever it is would be I don't want to say easy but probably most effective with this type of product so getting down to okay we can get this thing certified so let's go back and start with multifamily like how do you tackle a multifamily structure when there are so many rooms and units and things that are connected and not connected to each other and then just a, a large volume you know do you max out at a certain amount of volume that you can handle so um basically when we're when we're tackling a multifamily project you're you really i mean you're doing unit by unit so the compartment I mean, and you and mike kind of got into this the, the compartmentalization benefit of aero barrier where um you know you're sealing you, you're sealing one unit a corner unit you're going to be effectively isolating that corner unit from the two adjacent units and um you know odor smoke moisture transfer is all mitigated obviously you're getting the tightness um i i we've seen we've seen a good market for um um for aero barrier in in uh, multifamily the first one we ever did was in providence um it's a 30 unit project but we we did we came kind of late we did two of the units and and um 
the compartmentalization and air tightness numbers came in the best for that that um for those two units came in better than the other units and we only took them down i think we went from four and a half air changes at um right after first coating of primer primer on the gypsum um and we brought them down to 1.5 we could have gone lower they wanted us to be under two and uh the hers raider um i know that worked on that project said that the two units we did were the best but we could have got we could have gotten uh gotten them tighter um you usually want to go unit by unit you, you can't do multiple units at the same time so it becomes a a timing timing labor type situation but you i mean you can do three four units in one day um with you know one crew if you have multiple rigs you could probably get more done so. yeah so it's fairly quick i mean so let's how how large was one of those units so so you know you say you could do three or four in a day are we talking you know a, a thousand square feet new construction um that that's pretty impressive so it runs for two hours maybe depending on how leaky it is i mean you're saying coming down from four to to 1.5 um and you know, coming from having lived in apartments when I was younger, uh, or even in the in the dorm rooms uh, when I was in college, I I can't imagine how valuable it has to be to separate these units from each other. You know, even if your neighbor just likes to, you know, maybe they cook a lot of fish or something, and mm -hmm. just having that separation yeah. between units, even even when we're not talking about energy, or you know, maybe your your neighbor is a smoker, right? So uh, that and that you could have taking it down farther than that. Like you can keep going until what, at what point, like what sort of is the stopping point aside from the homeowner saying like, okay, to get it, get it below two and, and we're good or building owner. Um, is there kind of a limitation or it just like, what makes it stop? Well, you usually have a target. Um, I mean, you can go in into tiered pricing where we can get you down to a, passive house standard it's going to cost this much uh, it kind of ties into the amount of material um you know the longer your seal the tighter you're going to get but the more material you're going to use um so we're usually going down to a tightness where we're comfortable that it's going to be accurately where we're trying to get to because you have to factor in the prep you have to prep windows hvac so that's going to make a little bit of a difference um when that final blower door number is getting done so so we kind of we'll get a baseline often we'll get a before um, we even start the prep we'll get a, a pre uh, blower door number then a, num a blower door number um, once everything is prepped just so we know what the difference will be is for better accuracy um, but in, in theory you can keep going you can you can keep going and going um, you so you kind of want to worry a little bit about at some point you can oversaturate and it can be a little bit messier to clean up, but um, you, can, you can go to, there's guys getting down to 0 0.01 up in, up in Vancouver. They're getting really tight up there. Oh, those Canadians are, they're always the yeah. uh, top of the <laughs> top of the list on, on making improvements like that. Um, that kind of talking about cleanup sort of lends itself back to the, doing renovation work is mm -hmm. um you know how many more hours of labor does it add for you to do 
a renovation project? And, and do you recommend that people move out? I know when we were doing cellulose in older houses and your dense packing walls, you know, you tell people like cover everything because anywhere that you have a leak in here, you know, that cellulose dust is going to come out through the wall system. And so you, you know, we would encourage people to, you know, throw a sheet over furniture. Are yeah. you throwing sheets over furniture or is it like you've got some kind of sticky tape membrane that you're putting on anything that's horizontal? So you're covering what all of the floors, all of the windowsills, uh, any furniture. Um, you know, do people really, do they have to move out almost in order for you really to do a, a renovation? Um, a house that's fully furnished can take, uh, you know, a day and a, I mean, depending on the size, let's say a 2000 square foot house can take a full day with two people prepping um, just to make sure that, you know, yeah, you have to cover the furniture. You also want to tape the floors um, or put poly something uh, something on the floors and tape it to the perimeter so that um, the sealant doesn't find its way onto the floors and rugs and, and, and you know stick the sealant's going to be able to come off if you you know it's just that it can increase your labor costs if you have to go back and clean for a full day too so um, I don't want people to think that if if, if you in a that the sealant's never going to come off if, if it does get somewhere it's not supposed to go um, you know it's water soluble so um, warm water you can use um, windex um, things like that but um, you know I, w we did a house in uh, cumberland rhode island the guy had just bought the house he heard about this technology and he wanted to make his house really tight we um he, he he kind of moved most of his he hadn't moved a lot of his furniture in what he had in it was like a, a chair and a tv and we covered it we covered all the floors we covered the rugs covered the supply ducts the return ducts taped the windows cabinets we kind of taped shut and then put plastic over them and taped the plastic to the ceiling we got this house from around 12 to a little bit over um i think it was around three and a half um and that and, and he was really happy with it. He had a, a big chase in his bathroom too, that, um, you know, the aero barrier, it's not going to get any holes that are more than a half inch in, in size. So, um, and he knew where that, that leakage point was. So he sealed it. So he, he's, he's really tight right now. And there wasn't much cleanup in that because we, we prepped for a full day before, but that's just kind of an example of that seems like the perfect um, coordination is is to meet with a bunch of real estate agents beforehand yeah. and like before people move into a house or if they're going to replace flooring because that's one thing that a lot of people seem to to do it's a fairly easy fix or you know they're like oh you know these pink carpets from 1950 are really gross like go ahead just do this and then we'll rip the carpets out um like that seems like a great market to kind of get into especially as the codes start getting tighter and you have these existing houses um that's always been one of my things is there's there's funding out there available for people to make improvements that kind of prove that they can save a certain amount and i would think that going from 12 ach to three is you know going to have a pretty big impact on the amount of heating costs that you're going to have you know rhode island you're heating maine we're heating and so you could say hey you know maybe take advantage of the energy efficient mortgage or something like that and it's it's a it's a 
low cost solution because for you guys, it's a lot less prep work because it's, it's almost a, you know, new construction if you know if it's empty if it's completely empty i mean it's existing for sure but you know if you don't have to cover furniture and all you're really doing is covering horizontal surfaces like you know cabinetry and flooring and maybe not even all the flooring you know it might be some of it Mm -hmm. um that seems like a kind of nice niche to be in so it's almost like you want to do a um presentation for the real estate board to say, Hey, this is available. You should tell your clients about it. Cause when I bought my first house, I would totally have done this. Like we bought a house. It was built in 1914. It had carpet in the dining room. Like who has carpet in their dining room? You know, we were young, but we, we could have afforded a little bit more as part of our mortgage to have done that. And then I look at it and go, how much would we have saved by, you know, by, not having, I don't know how it is in Rhode Island. I don't know if you guys are like we are here, but we used fuel oil to heat. And like, there were years where fuel oil was $5 a gallon, you know? And it's like, had we done this little thing right before we moved in without things that we didn't care about, we painted all the walls anyway, you know? And I know it doesn't really stick to horizontal surfaces or I mean, vertical surfaces, it's more horizontal. Like, that would have been huge. And we would have done that all day long. Now, granted, that was a lot of years ago. This technology didn't exist, but I feel like there are people like myself and my husband who are at that point, you know, you're, you're buying your first house and it's, you know, 1200 square feet or less. It's small, you know, and that you could afford to do a little bit more. And, um, I'm hoping that in this current environment that we have, that maybe people will have more education or get more education. I know the building science community is trying to come together and do these virtual webinars where we check in with each other and and do that. But I'm also hoping that there, there could be some, you know, input from other builders who are like, okay, the code's changing. What can I learn while, while I'm off here so that I can do better with the code? Um, unfortunately, I got an email from um, one of the other architects who I'm friends with that said, you know, this is what New Hampshire is trying to do. And, and the, um, their uh, Home Builders Association was trying to strike a bunch of things out of the, the code. And mostly that was uh, the need for mechanical ventilation and the need for blower door testing for, for air changes. So I was like, these are literally the things that are the best thing you could do. <laughs> like, I know. I'd rather see you put, you know, fiberglass in your walls than, than not air seal. Like that's, and, and anybody who knows me know that, you know, way back in 2013, when I was writing blogs, instead of doing podcasts, I'll, I wrote a blog, like why fiberglass insulation sucks. You know, like I am not a fiberglass fan, mm-hmm. but air sealing is just one of those things that you should never take off the table. It's usually the most cost effective thing to do. And especially now with this new technology. And I feel like I don't know how expensive the product is versus your labor time, mm-hmm. but I feel like as more people start doing this, it could become the norm instead of, you know, especially for a really easy solution for um, your, your standard builders who build to code to jump to the next code. Yeah. I, I, I just think it's, it's such a versatile system it can be done in so many different applications um we're not seeing a a huge market in the single family 
um, Rhode Island department right now because you know builders hitting a seven. Uh, the the builders that want to build really tight can build really tight without it, and then the builders that just care about code don't need it to hit a seven. Um, but I think as that code becomes more stringent, like you're saying in mass, builders I think are going to adopt using it um, in the single family application. But the existing housing stock renovations, um, uh, and then any type of multifamily project, I think it's we're there now, and it's. Um, it's just a matter of getting the word out. So many people don't know about it, which I, I'm thrilled to do this podcast because I'm hoping there's listeners who at least want to learn more and have to have questions. I think that's exactly it because, you know, you got to get the word out. I mean, I'm in the building science community and I didn't really hear about it until six months ago. And like, I'm the kind of person that's out there who's reading Green Building Advisor and, and doing those things. And, and granted, I run a business too, so I'm not always the first person to learn about something and you're kind of waiting to hear and it's a new technology. And just like any new technology, it's kind of like, well, we'll, we'll let somebody test that. I mean, how many years ago, solar panels were you know $5 a lot and they were incredibly expensive and you couldn't do it. But, um, you know, now they're so much more cost effective, more people are doing solar, we're doing, you know, more on those lines, and you just kind of needed some people to start doing it to get on board. And, and I think that's the same here is just got to get the word out. And you're right to meet a seven. I mean, sevens kind of, uh, they do visual inspections here, which is kind of silly, but you know, they, yeah. they're, how does that work? Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't understand that at all. I'm like, what are we visually inspecting that you that you didn't just leave holes in the ceiling? Like, I don't I don't understand this. Um, but you know, seven probably your average builder can hit a seven, but I think it's 2015 is three. So there's a pretty big jump between seven and three. And now three is a lot harder to get to. You know, yeah. we comfortably get between one and two kind of all the time because that's what we're used to if we wanted to do a passive house we know kind of how to how to get down to those levels we have builders who just do those levels anyway um but most people were would struggle i think to get to three threes kind of you had to take a little bit more time and a little bit more care um the other thing for me is i really want people to go back and test like two or three years later, because what was really tight on day one, you know, when everything in your building structure was, you know, wet, it hadn't dried out, it hadn't acclimated to the site yet, um, might not be as good two or three years later once it's, you know, dried and settled and, you know, has become the structure itself. And so with Aero Barrier, it is a flexible material. And Mm -hmm. so what's the longevity on that? Because I know, a couple of years ago, you were talking about caulking and you were trying to evaluate that as um, when I was doing energy consulting and, you know, its lifespan was maybe five years if it dried out, depending on different types of caulking. Um, what's the product based on aero barrier and what's kind of its, its lifespan and, you know, what point do people maybe need to consider doing it again? Yeah, that, I mean, that's a question we get all the time. Um, so Aero Barrier has a, they have a 50-year durability test um, that, you know, it, it 
it passed with um, flying colors for aging, flexing, and um, compatibility. So I think it in the testing that they they did, it, it held up really well. Um, I think they did. Um, I think it was 40, 41 different simulations that they did, and um, you know it, the fifty-year durability testing. Um, they you know it held up really well. I you know. In talking with, um, I, I follow and try to um, meet with um, whenever they do any of their presentations. You know, Peter Yost, um, the Green Building Advisor, um, guy from Vermont. Yeah. He, he's a, you know, he. I've listened to a lot of things he's said about acrylics and all the testing they've done on acrylics. It holds up really well over time. So um, we're pretty confident that this system, uh, you know, you're going to have a tight house for you know, a long time. It's not like you're going to have to get it done 10, every 10 years. Um, so I think, I think you can be confident that it's going to hold up, um, you know, close to 50 years. Yeah. And I think that's what most people are, are, you know, concerned about. Um, we talked a little bit about this with Mike was like, what are the VOCs? Like what's in it? Like people hear adhesives and caulking and all that stuff. And they think, oh, that's filled with gross stuff. I know yeah. they've done a lot of testing on aero barrier on that. Um, as far as VOCs and it's either low to no, and you can feel really comfortable yep. about that. And then in the follow-up is like, if I have to do this every five years, it's not, it's not very cost effective, but if it's got, you know, 50 years, even if at 50 years, it's 50% as effective as it was, it's still doing a whole lot better than, you know, they don't, they don't test products in house as a system, which is that I built all these things and I put them all together and that they are going to, you know, crack and separate and, you know, do whatever. And people don't think about their houses that way. They're just like, oh, this one product. But um, mm -hmm. I'm really glad to hear that you mentioned compatibility too, because that was going to be my next question is, are there things that it just won't stick to or things that, because we've had, you know, foam products in the past where you use some kind of adhesive to attach it to something and then, oops, the adhesive ate the foam. Um, so yeah. it sounds like it has um, very low issues with compatibility with other materials. Yeah, it, it um, no, it, I don't, I don't think it's, it's certainly not going to chemically react with any other materials and it's going to adhere well to natural building movement, um, whether at the framing stage or at your, your plaster stage and that that's our post drywall plaster stage. I, I think that's a big question we always get is when's the best time to come in. And, and I, you know, I think you know, it, it, there's multiple times to come in. So it kind of, whatever fits best with the particular schedule of who we're working with, I think um, you can consider the best time to come in and other building components that are being used. But um, we, you know, I, I think you can expect buildings are gonna move this product. They've, they've done, I think, a lot to make sure that it's going to hold up well over time with the natural building movement. But I, I know a lot of some guys in Minnesota are they're they're they've had some houses that had aero barrier done for three years and they they're continuing to run blower door tests on them, and the numbers aren't um, increasing. So that's a positive sign. I want to have like a, a test house that we can just constantly um, do building science testing on 
um, we're working on that. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. Uh, either that or, uh, you know, go, go build like a little shed that you can, you know, let yeah. people test it and try it. That's been um, one of my things, you know, here, uh, I talk with Naomi at Passive House a lot about it. I talk with Ken at uh, Sega and these training facilities. Um, when I took the Passive House course, I thought the best thing was that they also offered a builder course where the builders could come and kind of take apart the previous class's wall system and then build a new one and learn how to use all these products. I don't know that people necessarily need to learn how to use arrow barriers so much as understand it. You know, it's great that you can come out and kind of do this structure, but that you could say, Hey, we test it. You know, we test it once a year for the last 10 years and it's, you know, been, been really great. Um, the other question I think that comes up or that I've heard is, you know, what does it look like if you're doing this in like a post sheetrock, you know, or an existing house is, you know, in your head, just thinking about like, oh, this is something that's, you know, being blown in here. Is it like the, the stuff that's stuck above my cabinetry, above my stove, you know, with my recirculating fan, like, does it look sticky? Can I paint over it? Um, you know, do you, do you get a lot of questions or comments on like what's going to be the finished product? I know it doesn't stick to vertical wall surfaces, so it's, you know, it's going to be in there. Does it look like caulking or do you just not see it? Um, well, no, you, I mean, you definitely will see it um, kind of building up when the, you know, where, where it seals, you'll see it. Um, but a lot of, I mean, it, it kind of drops to the floor and you think the floor would be very sticky. Um, say that they're, say you're doing um, a house before the, um, obviously you're usually doing houses before the floors are in. So it's just bored down on the floor. And um, it, we've had a couple of cases where it's, it's sticky, but um, you know, you can, you can sweep it up with a, with kind of a strong broom. Um, when you're going when you're getting really really tight there's maybe a better chance that you're probably going to see more of the sealant um and the floors may have a better chance of being sticky but we we've seen it go either way um and you you know one thing that's pretty interesting about um when you're coming in at, at the framing stage i have some really interesting pictures and videos that i put on instagram where you can see the white line of, of where it's sealed at the board and um it's pretty interesting it, it's white so when you're at at your plaster or drywall stage that's usually white too so it kind of gets it, it can be a little bit tougher to see at that stage but if you if you look around you'll you'll find it What's your Instagram handle for all the people who are listening on here who now are all super excited about going and watching your videos, uh, <laughs> including myself, going to go uh, um, watch the videos you put up? It's uh, Seal Tight Energy Solutions. Um, yeah, just the name of the company. <laughs> That's great. I'll make sure that it gets up in the show notes as well. Um, and is there other ways that people should get in contact with you? What's the the best way? I mean, there's a really great building science uh, Instagram community, but I'm assuming that uh, reaching out to you via Instagram is probably okay, but there are probably better ways for people to reach out to uh, you. Email. Um, my email um, is, well, we have a website too. So the, the website is sealtight es 
gmail.com. And my email is JL, like my initials, Jake Whitman, at sealtightes.com. And my my information's on the website. And um, Great. We'll make sure that gets up on the, the show notes so people can connect with you uh, afterwards yeah. as well. Uh, follow you on Instagram, watch all of your cool videos and uh, reach out to you. Um, yep. Is your target area still mostly Rhode Island? Do you go outside of Rhode Island? Rhode Island, um, Connecticut. There's no aero barrier um, presently in um, in Connecticut at this point, but that's kind of an area we are doing some work in. Uh, we will come. We we will we will travel. Um, we I have friends up in Portland, and we were we were they were doing a commercial project that we were going to seal. I'm not 100 percent sure where that the status is of that right now, but. Um, We'll, we'll travel pretty much uh, anywhere throughout uh, New England. That's good to know. So if there are people out there who want to test it out or trial it or something that you're yeah. willing to, to travel to, to try it out or, you know, um, talk people through how to do it. I think you said uh, there's maybe somebody in Massachusetts who's who's doing that um, in mm-hmm. New York, I think. So um, for, for East Coast taking a little bit longer to get here, surprisingly enough, uh, taking a little bit longer to get here. Cause usually, um, once it gets picked up in Massachusetts and New York, people catch on to it, uh, I think, but, um, yeah, I, you know, I've thought about why, why, it, why, why it may not, you know, why, why it may be getting used more out West, but it, I don't know. I, I think there's, there's, there's progressive thinking people anywhere you go. So I think this technology is going to work anywhere. Well, I think maybe out West, um, I think, I don't know how it is in Rhode Island, but we don't have a lot of forced air, which was where Aero Barrier first came from, right? The parent company was actually a ductwork sealing. um, And so maybe it was more second nature to them because they were doing a lot of ductwork sealing. Um, We don't have a lot of that in Maine. I don't know if you have a lot of it in Rhode Island, possibly because we don't have a lot of air conditioning. Although as the climate zones move farther and farther north, we may see more air conditioning than we have in the past. Um, So I don't know if some of it is that, or if some of it is, you know, here on the East Coast, we have people who are just really passionate about building science and they've just been doing air sealing in other ways. And so, you know, like you said, um, for us in, in Massachusetts and New York specifically have been at lower codes, you know, lower air changes per hour and more requirements for a while. Um, maybe us smaller states like Rhode Island, New Hampshire, and uh, Maine, Vermont, we'll see a bigger prevalence with aero barrier because we're trying to get to that point um, as opposed to, you know, you're right. We all have great builders in certain areas that can, can get to those air changes per hour. No problem. They've been doing it. They've studied the science, but we also have a big component of builders who, who, haven't been doing that. And I feel like in the Midwest, that's more after talking to Travis, it seems like, you know, he's really excited for building science to catch on out there. And I'm like, yeah, you know, he says all this stuff and all the people we follow all seem to come from New England. Um, and so I don't know if some of it is just because we've been doing it in other ways yet that it hasn't caught on here yet, but I think that it will as the smaller states start adopting more stringent codes. 
Yeah. Or I guess we can't really say smaller in size. Maine isn't actually a small size state. We just don't have a lot of people. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, I think uh, as the codes get tighter, get better. um, I know I talked uh, with people from Minnesota and they've had mechanical ventilation and blower door testing as a requirement for a while. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to get there. <laughs> I'm like, can't wait for Maine to be one of those places because um, they were in climate zone seven. So it's, it's really important. You know, when you get into these cold climate zones, are you guys in five or six? We're in five. In five. Uh, so this was the more, this was a ridiculously warm winter. I don't think, um, I don't think I, I didn't shovel once this for the 2019-2020 winter. I know Maine, you know, I go up to Sugarloaf. Um, I used to go more, but I love going up there when I can. And um, we got some while we were up there over the, the holidays, it snowed a little bit. But, it, it, you know, I just feel like growing up, going up there. I mean, I just never remember rain north of in, in like the rangely area in sugarloaf and now it's it's pretty normal that it's going to rain after storms during storms and, yeah um, we had a really unusual winter this year where we had like one day it would snow and the next day it would be 45 degrees and then it would rain it was very strange and i don't know if that was just this year or if that's going to be the new norm for us, because when I first moved to Maine, so my husband is from Maine, mm-hmm. I'm from Pennsylvania originally. And when I first moved to Maine, um, I moved in with my in-laws cause we were going to save to, uh, buy a house. And I moved here in March from Washington, DC, which was where I was living. And, you know, DC gets six inches of snow and everything shuts down. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I went to Penn state, so I, w- there was snow in the mountains, you know, it wasn't kind of new to me, but I moved in, it was March and we got a snowstorm and we got 10 feet of snow. I mean, we had so much snow and it was crazy. And my mother-in-law said, it's not usually like this. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. Like a fluke storm. And then that summer we had one of the coldest summers. And I think it didn't get above 75, like the whole summer. And she's like, it's not usually like this. And I finally said to her, I was like, you are no longer allowed to use the words. It's not usually like this. Cause I don't know what's <laughs> going to happen, you know? And so, but that first year that was in 2007, we had 10 feet of snow in March. Like this year, we had a snowstorm last night and I'm not even going to bother to shovel anything because we got maybe an inch, maybe two inches. It's going to be 50 degrees today. Like there's no point in even shoveling it. It'll be gone by lunchtime. Are you, are you in North? Where are you in Maine? Well, so um, when we got 10 feet of snow, we were North of Portland, but inland. Um, We now live on the coast of Maine. So some of my expectations are a little bit different because you don't get quite as much snow on the coast. So um, we're up near the Camden, Rockland, Rockport area. And so we don't get quite as much anyway. Um, but really, even for not getting quite as much, we just haven't gotten anything really this year. Like, I don't even think we took the snowblower out. I don't know if we run it at all. Um, and it just, we did last winter when we were here we used it maybe twice but this year it's just like we'll just drive over top of it it'll melt like it's you know it's gonna be 45 degrees in another day like whatever who cares it's a little messy um you know as opposed to 
when when we lived in uh, the Lewiston Auburn area and you get to the end of your driveway and you go I hope nothing's coming and you pull out because you can't see anything through through yeah. the snow and so um they you know the the whole climate change thing they I, I think they said what in 10 years it's possible that Maine's climate zone will be like Virginia is now or something and I thought oh that's crazy like I can't I don't love snow. I'll be the first one to admit that I grew up in Pennsylvania. I don't know how to ski. Uh, <laughs> I don't particularly love to shovel, um, but I don't mind it because I live in a state that's used to getting snow. So like yeah. the roads are plowed. You, you can go anywhere. You're not homebound. It's not like when DC gets snow, nobody goes anywhere because they just, they don't have any way to handle it. You know, here in Maine, they can handle the snow. That's oh, not yeah. my favorite, but, and it's always, um, we lived in Rochester, New York for a couple of years also, and they have like lake effect snow. So from October to May, it's just cloudy. It doesn't even get sunny. So at least in Maine, it snows. And then the next day it's like brilliant sunshine. So yeah. I can live with that. Uh, but yeah. to think that there's a possibility that there would be no snow in the future, just, I, I don't know. That it, it seems crazy maybe uh, this is my wild climate theories out there maybe that's why we're all home right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> climate I change i love the snow and it's it's i mean i i lived out in big sky montana after college for two years and uh, it's it's challenging having a winter without snow it's just it isn't right to me and the, the rhode island i mean we, we it's it just it's been like in the 60s um you know we've been outside playing soccer it's it's just unbelievable how warm it is um and how little amount of snow we've had this winter but um yeah I... yeah i know it's it's you don't know you don't know why it is this way you know you look out at las vegas um we were out there a couple of years ago and um the water level was as low as it had ever been. They're having all these water issues. You know, they're not getting enough snow. Then we get these massive monsoons and it's flooding in other areas. I mean, it just seems crazy, all these changes in climate that we've seen over the last couple of years. And so um, you don't know, who knows what's going to happen or, or where that's going to go. But um, any other imparting words uh, for the podcast community um, on, you know, how your uh you're, I know you're working from home. I'm working from home. You know, a lot of us are just trying to stay positive uh, in this, you know, environment. We don't know what's going to happen. Is a lot of Rhode Island shut down? You know, did you shut your job sites down? And you know, what are you kind of doing there? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely trying to stay positive, especially something like, you know, we we don't have an established presence quite yet in in the building industry. We're still, you know, doing a lot of marketing, a lot of uh, know just educating um architects builders homeowners um so that you know it's been challenging with the the trade shows all being canceled they were all jlc live was supposed to be last week and um the, the rhode island builders association show which is huge um is in early april that's canceled so we're you know we're uh just just trying to stay positive trying to continue to to just speak with you know as many people as I can about this technology. We are um, hoping to be starting a, a large mill conversion project in Connecticut. 
um, where we were brought in by a HERS raider, um, a big HERS raider down in Connecticut. Um, we're going to, you know, do a trial run and hopefully it all goes well. Um, Eversource is going to be assisting in, in this project as well, um, because in these old historical buildings that are that, where they have to keep the brick, you can't really, um, you know, spray foam is not really an option. They're not uh, building out the walls to insulate them. So we're going to be trying to get these units um, as tight as possible. Um, you know, in order to make these units um, more efficient. And um, so we're hoping to get this started and, and this is gonna be a great case study. We'll just be able to show um, developers, uh, there's so many brick buildings and structures all over New England, all over the country and uh, converting them into um, apartment buildings, um, affordable housing, you know, even passive. Um, I, th I think there's a great future in that for, for Arrow Barrier. So. Yeah, I think so too. And, and as difficult as this stretch is right now, and especially with a lot of the unknowns that we just, you know, we don't know how long this is going to last. We don't know how long we'll be home. I think there will be a transition in the market and things that we had already been kind of seeing was, you know, people are looking for communities. They're looking for more density. They're looking for these multifamily structures. And I think it's yeah. a lot easier to convince people to do, you know, exactly what you're doing. And so just to get it out there, you know, to, to hers raiders and everybody else. So um, I'll definitely look at my community and see who I know that I can say, hey, listen to this podcast that we did and reach out to, to uh, Jake. They're doing some cool things because I think you're right is like right now we just need to be spreading the word, talking about building science and that hopefully when we come out of this, we'll just be doing things a little bit better. That's that's my goal, you know, on, on all of this is like, Hey, listen to the podcast. Maybe you have time or, you know, I, I started the podcast just cause I like to talk to other people in the building science world. It's, it's fun for me. And so other people yep. so far have, have seemed to have a positive reception to, you know, hearing what other people are doing. And this is how we get the word out on, on what we're doing um, between the virtual BS and beer events and uh, the podcast and, um, just connecting with hopefully future events that people are doing, you know, that Nessie Boston got bumped and, you know, the JLC, yeah. I'm sure they'll, they'll do that um, at another time. And so hopefully that'll be sooner rather than later. So if we, you know, whether this, this storm of what's going on, my hope is that the building community is going to be um, pushing that much more for, for efficiency and improvement. So um, I really appreciate you coming on today. It was great to talk to you. Um, I love hearing more about this technology because I think it's cool. <laughs> I, you know, I say all the time on the podcast, I'm, I'm a big nerd. I think this is super cool. Um, and I think it's great that there's, you know, there are a couple of people on the East Coast that are doing this because I hadn't previously known that that was the case. So um, let's, let's spread the word and get it out there. And, and the, yeah. next year, when I talk to you, you'll be cranking, even uh, we'll just say in the fall, when I talk to you in the fall, you'll be like, we're so busy. And <laughs> we got all this going on. And people, people are getting it so yeah we hope so and we we're very confident that um it's going to take off and it's just it's it's unbelievable technology it just makes so much sense uh if we're measuring the flow rate of a building um you know as our, our standards our blower door standards why not why not utilize that and tighten the house at the same time it just makes so much sense and 
Um, yeah. I mean, I've been a huge proponent of blower door testing. I've been doing blower door testing since 2009, I think. Yeah. Um, and so like people are always really fascinated to hear that I have a blower door and I'm like, yep, you just throw it in the back of the truck and you take it along and you test all of this. And you know how and it's like, it's a super cool technology that tells you so much information about a building structure that like, yes. I don't know why people aren't interested in this because it's cool. And then to take that now and capitalize on also air sailing, you're right. I mean, like, how cool is that? So it's like, oh. Yeah. More builders don't have and, and architects don't have um, floor equipment. For, I can kind of see why some architects don't have it. We don't spend as much time in the field as we probably should. Um, and I'm a big proponent on like, get out, get into the field. Like just cause you can draw, it doesn't mean it's easy to build. And like, we don't know a lot of those things until, you know, you hear it from the contractor and it's better to have a really integrated design team where the contractor gives you feedback, you give them feedback and everybody gets better. Um, that's you know, definitely my goal is like, why aren't we talking to each other? You know, why isn't everybody on the team? on board on this. Um, for a while, when there was a lot of our money coming into the state, Maine was incentivizing builders to have blower door tests. So a bunch of builders had them and they used them. But then when they stopped kind of making sense financially, they stopped using them. And I'm like, oh man, like I, I feel like we missed an opportunity here and we went backwards instead, you know, and it's like, I, you know, our, our, if our efficiency programs were incentivizing, um, people to do that. I think Efficiency Vermont has a program where, you know, they connect builders with HERS raters. So the HERS raters will come out to your site and they'll do a lot of this stuff. And I think that's huge. So even if architects aren't doing it, um, if, if we had a big energy community, a HERS raider community who can both educate the building inspector and the builders and the architects on what's going on, that would be huge. I mean, maybe we don't all need to know everything. Um, mm -hmm. For me, I wanted to be a HERS rater. I wanted to understand that. I think that makes me a better architect. You know, I started with the lead exam and then I took uh, an energy auditing for the state of Maine. And then I did BPI, which was really great for existing conditions. And then I did HERS rater and then I did passive house. And it's like, people are like, why do you do all these things? I was like, I learned something new in every certification. You know, you learn how to do different things. And, and it's, I mean, I will probably be a forever student. Uh, I actually teach a building, uh, a sustainable design class at uh, SMCC, and I learn right. things from my students that I'm like, oh, that's cool. I didn't know that was out there. Like, oh, you thought about that in a totally different way. Like, awesome. So, um, you know, I just I like to learn. And that's the best thing about this aero barrier is it's a new technology. It's something cool. It's something you can get behind. It's something you, you know, ask all the questions for you build been in the building science world for a while. You know, you want to know, like, is somebody going to be allergic to this? Does it have high VOCs? Is it sticky? Is it, you know, so, so it's yeah. awesome that you, uh, you know, been doing this for a while now and, and can come on and really give people the information that they want to know or need to know. Yeah. And so if there are follow-up questions, uh, we'll have you on again uh, and have yeah. have you answer answer those because I know that I don't know everything and so those were just the things that came to my mind <laughs> and, and which I think was probably a lot of the questions that you kind of hear repeatedly but there are people who think about things in different ways and so there might be more questions so uh, oh there I mean we're constantly learning um, there there's endless questions so if, if you ever you know, yeah, I'd be happy to do this again. Um, 
And if you ever have questions in the meantime, just just let me know. All right. Well, thank you again. I appreciate you being on today. Thanks for having me and uh, have a good rest of the day.